This is Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. If you're President of the United States, there are some fabulous places you can go on vacation. Most notably, recent presidents relax at Camp David in Maryland. Where did Abraham Lincoln go? And why was his vacation spot hidden from public view for over a century? We'll find out when we talk today with Matt Pinsker of Dickinson College on Civil War Talk Radio. Everyone faces conflict at home, at work, in the community, in the world. Fix Your Conflicts is a show about how to fix those conflicts with practical tips and techniques. Doug Knoll brings to the internet airwaves the first of its kind, a show that teaches peaceful resolution to life's daily battles. That's Fix Your Conflicts with Doug Knoll, broadcasting live every Monday at 11 a.m. Pacific on World Talk Radio Studio A. Answer the president's call to service. As an AmeriCorps member, I know that Americans everywhere are helping each other, showing strength of character. As a senior Corps volunteer, I know that Americans are showing kindness and compassion. As an AmeriCorps member, I see plenty of American spirit and enthusiasm. Together, we make America strong. Together, we make America great. Find out how you can serve at nationalservice.org. It's your world. It's your chance to make it better. Apply online at nationalservice.org. The world is talking. World Talk Radio. Studio A. Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, coming to you this week from the Brewster Building on the campus of East Carolina University in Greenville, North Carolina. But, as is true this week and every week, not speaking for the university not speaking for my guest, who will speak for himself, but is not speaking for his institution. We're all on our own hook, talking with you about Civil War-related topics. It is a beautiful autumn day, the 31st of autumn. It's Halloween here in Greenville, and like some other campus towns in North Carolina, there has grown up a tradition of all the students uh, gathering downtown in costume and engaging in drunken revelry through the evening. Uh, I'm not planning to participate in that, so we'll just carry on our show here as usual. I've never actually gone downtown to see it. Um, and downtown is used advisedly in a town this small. It it's, uh, sounds more grandiose than it is. But uh, all the students I've talked to insist they would never go to such a, a, a silly event, and yet somehow thousands of people show up every year. Um, well, we will focus instead here on uh, these Civil War topics that are at hand. Uh, it's a uh, busy time of year, uh, and there are plenty of things to talk about in the academic calendar, but rather than ramble on about them myself, I'm going to leap ahead uh, and bring on our guest at this early moment. Oh, wait, not before telling you. If you want to support the show, uh, your donations are always welcome at civilwartr dot uh, no, civilwartr at aol dot com uh, if you want to send by 
PayPal a donation to support this program, which we'll use to buy books or pay library fines or uh, buy a Halloween costume as, as the mood strikes. Well, our guest uh, this week, as said in the introduction, is Matthew Pinsker. And as not said in the introduction, he's the author of a book called Lincoln's Sanctuary, Abraham Lincoln and the Soldier's Home. And we'll be talking uh, a good bit about that today, I, I trust. Uh, Matt, are you there? I am. Hi, Jerry. Hey, Matt, how are you doing? Good. Good. Uh, it's uh, good to talk to you. We talked not too long ago uh, in uh, Galesburg, Illinois, uh, speaking of giant uh, downtowns, uh, in, in Galesburg at the Lincoln Colloquium. And uh, uh Rather than uh, start reminiscing about that right away, I will begin by pointing out that you are the uh, one of the few academic guests uh, that we've had on the show this year. It, every week I ask the, uh, the guest uh, how he got interested in the Civil War, what his background is, and we find out almost inevitably that uh, the person in question is a lawyer, a journalist, a scientist, uh, something other than an academic historian, and there are reasons for that, but... Uh, you, on the other hand, uh, have, have gone the route of the righteous uh, uh, in Civil War history and, and been, been trained properly. Tell, uh, tell our listeners about your background, if you would. Well, I've always been interested in history, and I've always been uh, hopeful that I could teach. So it was natural for me to try to become a, a Civil War professor, and I've been happy to do it. Uh, one of the, the perks I get on this show uh bestowed on myself, since it's, it's my damn show, is reminding listeners periodically that I have a Harvard degree. It's not the kind of thing you can just you know go walking down the street and, and tell people about it, but if you have a radio show, you can do that periodically. So I thought we could do that today by talking about our days at Harvard. Uh, you have one too, I believe, the, the Harvard degree. Right. Now, I was an undergraduate when you were there as a graduate, and so uh, that is also one reason why I would say I'm a, uh, a professor uh, who teaches Civil War era, you know, because in that day, I think, uh, at school, uh, we had a good group of people. Uh, you were there. Uh, Mike Vorenberg was there. There were a number of other graduate students there who are now leading historians, and then I think all of us, in some way or other, were kind of mentored by David Donald who's probably one of the great Civil War historians uh, of the 20th century and, and uh, into this century as well. So, you know, it was an exciting place to be for somebody who was interested in that period, and I, uh, I really enjoyed it. It really was. I, I, I will say we were there at a good time. Jean Baker spent a, a semester there. Were you, were you there when Jean was on campus? I was, and, and she, she was great. She was. She, she, of course, biographer of Mary Todd Lincoln, uh, uh, was helped teach the Civil War course there. Uh, Fran McDonald uh, was one of our graduate colleagues. I, do you know what's happened to Fran? Do you? No. Does that name ring a bell? I wonder. <laughs> to be honest, it doesn't. He was. Um, I, I recall he he got married and his wife had a job teaching at one of the somewhere in the Shenandoah Valley, one of the nice schools there, I think. Uh, and and he went along, but I don't know that he had. Uh, a position with the history department or not? I'll have to get back back to him sometime. Um, well, the uh, that that was an interesting atmosphere. That was also the era of Ken Burns' Civil War uh, documentary coming out, and there was a lot of interest, I think, among students and, and the public generally 
uh, in the, the 1980s, early 90s, uh, with, with Civil War materials. So did you go straight from Harvard? Uh, where did you go next? I went to graduate school at Oxford in England, and uh, I also had a great experience there. Um, you know, uh, after I was able to work for Professor Donald, I jumped into another um, mentoring relationship with uh, Daniel Walker Howe, who was at Oxford and uh, who was also a fantastic historian. And then another historian of British history there who was... Uh, you know, especially helpful to me, uh, a man named Lawrence Goldman, who's well-known in his field in England, uh, not an American historian, but very good and, and helped me, you know, develop my technique. Well, it's uh, uh, giant shoulders that uh, that we both have to stand on in terms of David Donald and, and certainly these other names you mentioned. Yeah, I mean, you know this. In academics, what really helps is uh, your apprenticeships, you know, the training that you have, uh from mentors and, and models, you know, who teach you the craft. And um, I was lucky. Well, it, it, which is an interesting thing about learning, uh, learning to study history uh, professionally, is that it really doesn't have the, it, it is a craft, it is an apprenticeship. Uh, teaching in particular, they, you get pretty much no training for, at least I don't recall having a great deal other than uh, seeing it done by, by some of the great people uh, in the field, like Donald or Bernard Balin or others, uh, but it's not like you you had classes in in in, in pedagogy. You're not actually trained how to teach. You just sort of imitate. Right, not masters. in the kind of graduate programs that you and I went to. No, I was lucky in the other sense there because my mom was a high school social studies teacher. My dad was a an English professor at a small liberal arts school. So uh, I you know I grew up around teachers and I absorbed I think a lot of the insights about and how to approach the classroom from them and my, my parents are both teachers also high school level and and i guess the apple does not fall far from the tree in our cases uh, although i remember a lot of dinner time conversations about uh, uh, departmental politics or, or what other people were doing but the students you know they, they clearly took a lot of pride in their students and, and were interested in them and and that sort of value rubs off as well, as well as the actual technique of teaching. So right now you're teaching at Dickinson College? That's right. It's in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. It's a small liberal arts school. It's, it's old. It's been around since 1783. And uh, Carlisle is where the, uh, the Army uh, uh, Library, the, the, the uh, not War College, but... Uh, Carlisle is uh, home to the Army War College. You it know, that college. was the barracks that uh, housed the uh, Carlisle Indians at the end of the 19th century, where Jim Thorpe attended. So, and it's one of the great archives um, for Civil War studies, certainly, to, to be able to. Right. At the Military History Institute, they have an incredible collection of uh, manuscripts and other materials for military history. Now, I happen to think they're photo archive for the Civil War is invaluable. The manuscript collection isn't as strong as other places in that particular period, but um, it's still, you know, a great resource. And and, uh, and a beautiful part of the country. You're right there. You're near Gettysburg. There's, there's a lot to see. Right, and that's where I grew up. You know, I'm from Lancaster, Pennsylvania. This part of the country is, you know, home to me. Ah. Well, the... Uh... As I said in the introduction, uh, American presidents often need a place to get away, and uh, I am resisting with great 
great effort, the the uh, temptation to talk about next Tuesday's presidential election, because by the time people download this show, the election will be over, and they will know what you and I don't know right now, which is the outcome. And anything we say will just uh, you know sound, be of, of quaint historical interest only. Uh, but we did have the chance to talk certainly a, a lot of politics uh, a couple weeks ago at the Lincoln uh, Colloquium in Galesburg, uh, Illinois, at Knox College. Uh, uh, we we got to see people like uh, Alan Gelzo, Michael Burlingame, Gary Wills, and we got to disagree with them on pretty much everything, uh, as I recall, in our ride back to the airport. Uh, but that's one of the fun things, I guess, about being in the business. Well, everybody's got an opinion, and uh, nobody is ex- afraid to express it. So, fortunately, I think everybody appreciates that uh, you have more in common with those who feel strongly about things, even if you disagree with them, than those who don't feel at all. So, uh, there's a good sense of uh, give and take that I, you know, I appreciate. Well, that, that I'm, I'm going to remember that. That was a a useful comment. Uh, it is those who are engaged, whether on, on one side or the other, that uh, can appreciate each other more. Right. Well, we, we were there to talk about Lincoln, and uh, your book that I'm holding here, Lincoln's Sanctuary, uh, about Abraham Lincoln and the Soldier's Home, uh, is about a really curious, I think, uh, historic site uh, in that it is the... Well, well tell, tell everybody, what is the Soldier's Home? Well, the Soldier's Home uh, refers to uh, what's now called the Armed Forces Retirement uh, Community, which is the uh, uh, Army institution that houses retired veterans of the Armed Forces. In the uh, 19th century, it uh, was a place for uh, retired veterans of the Army, and it was a kind of unique institution uh, that began in 1851 and and offered a home mostly to disabled uh, combat veterans. But it became a presidential retreat, uh, first by James Buchanan in the late 1850s, and then Lincoln, and a handful of other 19th century presidents. You could say it was the Camp David of the 19th century, uh, about three miles from the White House uh, inside the district, but tucked away uh, now and then, you know, in a remote area and uh, a very beautiful area. And uh, it became a, a place where Abraham Lincoln, in particular, was able to um, evolve as a leader. Now, was this place built uh, to serve this function, or was it originally a private residence? Uh, how did it get started? Well, the uh, grounds of the soldiers' home have shifted over the years, but you know, the roughly two or three hundred acres of uh, land there was home at first to a cottage built by uh, banker George W. Riggs of the Riggs National Bank fame. And he um, originally intended the area and his cottage to be a kind of uh, country retreat, a fashionable house uh, for him and his young family. Uh, They had a child who died, and uh, he decided to refocus. So they moved out and sold the property and the land to the government. And then the government built on that land right near that cottage several other buildings intended for the retired soldiers and the officers who were going to administer them. And that's what became, you know, the network of buildings that formed the core, the historic core of the soldier's home. Now, when, when he called it a cottage, I think of a cottage as a, a little lake home, a few hundred square feet up in northern Michigan, uh, tucked away. Uh, the cottage is 
what cottage is a little bigger uh, the way uh, Riggs used the term, isn't it? Well, I, I understand what you're saying. The, the term itself really comes from uh, landscape designers and architects of the period, people like Andrew Jackson Downing, who uh, were creating cottages in the uh, um, English Gothic style, as he called it then, now called the early Gothic style. Uh, it was a, a sort of term of art used to refer to a, the design. And even though these buildings were large and they're for fashionable uh, families, you know, who were quite wealthy in many cases, like the Riggses, um, there still was a kind of rustic simplicity to them that was supposed to evoke that English cottage feeling. Yeah, and the location, as you say, is outside of the, the heart of D.C., so it, it, it gives a sense of escape from the city to, to live in a place like this. In the 19th century, uh, that was rural, that part of the district. Uh, now it's urban, but it's still a kind of oasis of tranquility in the middle of the city. It's, it's now about 200 acres uh, uh, of a higher elevation. You know, this is one of the highest elevations in the district. Uh, there's a lot of tree and grass. Now, they've built over a good part of it, and in fact, they're considering selling off a little part more for further development, but the, the home as it was then uh, was, you know, quite bucolic. And the, you mentioned it's, it's elevated. Um, I, I remember reading, I think it was perhaps uh, another book on a topic that claimed the temperatures uh, around there are as much as 10 degrees cooler than uh, down by the river. Does that seem likely to you? Is that possible? I'm not, I'm not sure uh, if it's exactly true, but I do know it's cooler. It's higher. There's more wind. Uh, there was a great um, impression that on the Potomac in the lower elevations there by the White House that uh, there was a lot of sickness. That's what they were principally worried about. They thought from the heat and the water uh, and the flies that there was um, unhealthy air. So the idea that you could get to a higher elevation and experience more breezes, that was something they thought would keep their health. Those deadly miasmas must be avoided. Right, the, uh, exactly. Which, and of course, they're actually onto something because it was unsanitary. Uh, it wasn't the, the bad air, literally, but they wanted, it made sense to get up there. So Riggs builds this house, uh, this cottage, and lives up there for a time, then how does it get, uh, how does it go from being the Riggs place to, uh, to the presidential retreat? That's a kind of fascinating backstory all on its own. The, um, the United States had never really had a system of um, institutional support for veterans, even for crippled veterans. You know, there had been pensions uh, for certain combat veterans, uh, like Revolutionary War soldiers. Uh, but there wasn't really any kind of organized network of support like you might see in Napoleonic France or in Britain uh, with Hotel des Invalides in Paris or Chelsea Hospital in London. And there were a number of American military figures who kept arguing that the United States needed to do something to support its veterans. And ironically, considering how much uh, the politics of today is about supporting the troops and helping the veterans, Many politicians in the early republic uh, said that uh, that wasn't what America was about, that it wasn't a martial republic. They didn't want to spend public monies on those things. It was an era of much more limited government, and they didn't want to uh, risk raising taxes. So uh, for a number of years, there were proposals for this that were bottled up and buried. I mean, one of them involved turning those war college barracks uh, in Carlisle into um, a soldier's home. Uh, and it was defeated 
in committee. Uh, but eventually, what happened after the Mexican War, which created new impetus, you know, for this proposal, uh, Winfield Scott uh, took a portion of the money that he had uh, captured as tribute from the Mexicans and put it in the Bank of America and told the Congress that he had it as a private account and wouldn't share it with them unless they voted to authorize a soldier's home, what they called a military asylum for retired veterans. And he had some support on the Hill from none other than uh, Jefferson Davis, a senator from Mississippi. And so in 1851, Davis's bill to create this military asylum eventually became law. And that was the, the start of the whole movement. Well, we're going to take a short break now. We'll come back in just a minute. We're talking with Matt Pinsker, author of Lincoln's Sanctuary, Abraham Lincoln and the Soldier's Home. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, and this is Civil War Talk Radio. Mm-hmm. 